Welcome to Love Notes from a Soul Coach, the podcast where we don't shy away from the difficult topics. We dive deep and explore what it means to genuinely, authentically heal. I'm your host, Mary, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's show. Hello, everybody. Here's a question I'd like to explore with you today. It's one I've been wrestling with for a long time now, both personally and professionally. What if depression has more to do with anger than sadness? What if the sadness associated with depression is not the driving cause of depression, but the end result instead? The end result of a kind of anger that's given up on itself, given up on ever being properly honored and expressed. I shared a post about this on Instagram last winter, and I was inundated with messages, more so than any post has ever garnered in all the years I've been sharing about mental health and personal development on social media. That post has been seen and shared and responded to like crazy, and there were basically two camps of responses that I noticed. One camp was, you're not a psychiatrist. You don't know what you're talking about. You need to be put back in your place. And the other camp was, this is incredibly powerful. How have I been in therapy all these years and no one has ever made this distinction for me before? And thank you for sharing. I wasn't really surprised by some of the pushback in that first camp. Because, you know, depression lives in the terrain of the ego. The soul cannot be depressed. The soul is free. The soul is fully in touch with its worth and its divinity. So these various darknesses like depression that we experience in our human incarnation, they don't stick to the soul. They're generated by the ego, by our sense of self being one that is separate from source, separate from each other. And the ego will bite back hard whenever you try to challenge it. When you speak the language of healing, of radical new ways to relate to the hardships in life, ways that point toward deeper inner freedom, the ego is quick to say, you don't know what you're talking about, back off. I can always recognize that defensive, protective ego growl versus a person who is really saying in a more earnest way, hey, you've missed the mark, you don't get it. I experience this in myself as well. When I'm having a big defensive reaction to something, that's usually a clue that my ego is activated and there's something to investigate a little more deeply versus calmly being able to say, "Mm, your experience is not my experience and I don't relate. So within the first group of responses on Instagram, the first camp, I got more than one message asking, what about depression associated with thyroid disease? What does this have to do with anger? And one message was from a person who has thyroid disease and has struggled personally with depression related to it. We traded messages back and forth for a bit, and it was clear to me that she felt I was oversimplifying and insinuating that if she just gets in touch with her anger, her depression will lift. And that is not at all the intention behind what I shared and not at all what I'm meaning to convey today either. You know, it's tricky to discuss something as deep and complex as depression on a social media platform where we're limited to 60 seconds of recording time and 2,200 characters in a written post. Even here in longer format like a podcast, it's still extremely challenging. 
But I still believe it's important to have these conversations and not to, you know, shy away from difficult topics. I'm obviously not a medical doctor and I'm not offering a cure for depression. Just sharing another perspective, just sharing ideas, because ideas thoughtfully shared between people can change lives. I believe in this passionately. It's really the point of all my work and the grand motivator in my life. But through messaging with the person I mentioned who suffers from depression related to thyroid disease, something was illuminated for me, which I think gets overlooked a lot when we talk about emotions. And that is the role of hormones. Hormones play a huge role in how we feel. The more you learn about hormones, the more you understand that they're involved in basically every single function of our human experience. They're like the control center for the body. So when something is up with our hormones, it's very hard for any other part of us to feel okay. And yet we don't always connect these dots. Doctors don't always connect these dots. And some of us are so eager to be gold star students when it comes to healing that we inadvertently blame ourselves when something isn't working in our lives. We don't want to be victims. We want to take responsibility. So when we're struggling, we think, I'm not trying hard enough. I need to clean up my negative thinking. I need more spiritual discipline. But what if a portion of how we're feeling is connected to our chemistry? What if our wellness and our equilibrium is not strictly about what we do, but how we are on the level of the physical body? See, we want a self-understanding that's broad enough and wise enough to encompass all of these nuances. Otherwise, we're limited. We're looking with blinders on. If I tell you this is a bowl of cereal, you'll reach for a spoon. If I tell you this is a bowl of spaghetti, you'll want a fork. Our perception of the situation affects the tools we choose to handle it. Friends, I would never interrupt our time together unless there was something legitimately important to share, and this definitely qualifies. Did you know that your conscious mind is only steering the ship 5% of the time? That's right, 5%. That means 95% of the time we're operating out of our subconscious minds. And this is what makes healing so challenging for us. We have to access that deeper subconscious mind if we want to reprogram our negative limiting beliefs and live more empowered, joyful lives. So how do we do this? We do it through affirmation work. Affirmation work is one of the most powerful ways to accelerate your healing and take your life to the next level. I've been engaged with this work passionately for over a decade now. And it's my great pleasure to be able to share it with you. So if you head over to my website, marywelch.com, and visit the meditation section, you can choose between nine different guided meditations, each based on a specific pain point, like the desire to release difficult feelings or toxic relationships, or generate more wealth or self-love in your life. Each meditation is a collection of positive affirmations recorded with corresponding solfeggio hertz frequencies to optimize your listening experience and open your heart and mind to receive these messages and begin integrating them into your subconscious mind where they can replace your negative beliefs over time. 
It is my deep joy to share this work with you. I hope you'll experience great healing from this offering. Head on over to marywelch.com when you get a chance and check it out. There's a danger when we start saying, I'm depressed or I have depression because the subconscious mind is always listening. And when the subconscious mind hears that we're not just having an experience or a feeling, we're having an identity, it will latch onto this idea and reinforce it. Now, I'm not diminishing the validity or intensity of what it's like to feel depressed. Please hear me clearly on this. I am advocating for the most empowered choice when it comes to how we handle it. And I feel strongly that the less identified we are with our feelings, the more liberated and confident we'll be when it comes to navigating them and getting the support we need for ourselves. So no, I don't believe that the experience of depression manifests the same way or originates from the same circumstances for every single person who deals with it in their lives. Depression that's stemming from a hormonal imbalance in the body may require a different approach when it comes to healing than depression that has come after a traumatic event or a depression that's tethered to an old sad story that has become deeply ingrained in us, playing on repeat for years or even decades in some cases. It's clear that not all depressions are the same. But let's consider depression from a mechanical point of view for a moment. The word depress means to hold something down. So what is being held down when we experience depression? It can differ person to person. Sometimes what's being held down is our joy. It's like a big fat elephant is sitting on our joy. And maybe that elephant is one thing, one awful thing that's happened that we can't seem to move beyond. Or maybe the elephant is the culmination of many smaller awful things that have added up to a life that feels flattened and heavy and empty of hope. Sometimes what's being held down is our anger. This is what my Instagram post was about. The anger of depression as feeling dislocated from our fire, from what needs to be acknowledged or expressed and is lost somewhere in us. Anger that's turned to sadness because it's given up on ever being let out, like a dog that used to scratch at the door but is now resigned to just lying down and waiting there forever. Sometimes what's being held down is our truth. This is very similar to holding down anger in that we're bearing the weight of what wants out but can't find a way out. The weight of words unsaid, feeling swallowed. Sometimes what's being held down is our hope. We're caught in the conundrum of needing hope and resisting hope because hope can feel dangerous. Hope can feel like a high wire act. It can feel like if I let myself really truly want something and if I let myself really truly believe I can have it, what will happen to me if I'm wrong? If things don't go my way, I'll never recover. So I'll just sit on the sidelines pretending I don't want more than what I already have. It takes a lot of energy to hold something down. Holding something down, depressing it, leaves us with very little left to give. This is why depression often manifests physically as exhaustion, trouble getting out of bed, trouble getting through the day. Sometimes it's hard to even feed ourselves 
or bring a sense of cadence or expression to our tone of voice. Have you ever noticed how someone who's deeply depressed speaks in monotones? So here is my question, the same one I stated at the start of the show, when it comes to depression. Instead of thinking of sadness as the cause of depression, could we think of it as a byproduct of what happens when we can't locate our joy, our anger, our truth, our hope, when we feel separate from our life force and we believe it's impossible to change any of this? And then deep, profound sadness sets in as a result, a result of how we're relating to our situation. When we flip the equation and look at sadness as a result of depression instead of a cause, we can begin to engage with our situation. We can investigate it. We can ask, if sadness is not the cause, what is? If we're looking in the wrong spot, we're not going to find the treasure. It doesn't mean the treasure isn't there. It just means we're looking in the wrong spot. When we make depression exclusively about sadness, I feel very strongly that we're looking in the wrong spot. And we start to feel even more hopeless, even more despairing when we look over and over again in the wrong spot. After a while, we don't want to look at all. See, we're told that the remedy for depression is getting rid of sadness. But sadness is a totally legitimate response from a body that feels flattened, that feels like there's no hope of ever being able to get that big fat elephant off of our joy, our anger, you know, the feelings we actually need to be able to access and express. So demonizing sadness is, in a sense, deeply disrespectful to a body that is just responding naturally to the pain it's in. Personally, I don't believe that sadness is the problem. I think the elephant is the problem. So how do we move the elephant, not how do we stop the sadness? Can you feel the difference between those two ideas, the elephant versus the sadness? The sadness is going to shift on its own once we get the elephant out of the way. That's the beauty of asking the right questions and using accurate framework, looking in the spot where the treasure actually is. Though this conversation is incomplete in the sense that it can never be complete because we could talk about these ideas endlessly and never exhaust them, ideas like where do emotions come from and how do we shift really heavy experiences like depression and why do some of us have bigger elephants on our path than others, I thought for the sake of wrapping up this particular episode that it might be lovely to end with one of my favorite passages from Khalil Gilbron. So I will leave you with his words, which I think are the perfect companion for us as we part ways today and marinate with all that was shared. It is said that before entering the sea, a river trembles with fear. She looks back at the path she has traveled from the peaks of the mountains the long winding road crossing forests and villages. And in front of her, she sees an ocean so vast that to enter there seems nothing more than to disappear forever. But there is no other way. The river cannot go back. Nobody can go back. To go back is impossible in existence. The river needs to take the risk of entering the ocean because only then will fear disappear, because that's where the river will know 
It's not about disappearing into the ocean, but of becoming the ocean. Thanks for spending the time with me today. And if you heard something that resonated, please consider liking, subscribing, and sharing this podcast so it can find its way to other ears out there. To learn more about my work and my latest offerings, visit me at marywelch.com or on Instagram at marywelchofficial. Till next time, friends.